Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to ESG Investing. I'm Andy Pareda, ESG Research Analyst at Sage Advisory. Today, I'm joined by our President and Chief Investment Officer, Bob Smith, who is uh, here to talk with us today about a very important uh, topic that's dear to his heart, which is good governance. You know, with Sage here, ESG investing is important to look at both the environmental, social issues and the governance issues. But we really feel that the governance issue is not one that's necessarily focused on in the ESG landscape as much as it should be. Bob, we get a lot of questions. What is good governance? You mind kind of breaking down how you think of what people should be looking at from a corporate perspective? Sure, Andy, uh, and uh, it's nice to be with you today you know, to talk about a, a subject that is kind of near and dear to my heart. You know, the world of ESG is a very complex world, very data heavy, lots of numbers and lots of things to think about. And so very often for advisors, it's, it's, it's difficult for them to establish a general framework for how should I think about management in the context of looking over many alternative companies and investment choices that I, I might wish to consider for my clients. And so today, what I'd like to review is kind of how we think about it, which is the five C's of governance. And by that, what we try to do is to break it down into about five different ways of looking at what is governance with regard to any organization, whether it's corporate, whether it's in the public sector, and to give you some sense and notion of what are the the big issues that I have to be thinking about. So first off, we all like to think about compensation. Compensation is part of the governance structure that we evaluate because, you know, how people are incentivized and how they're compensated for their actions, their policies, the fulfillment of their responsibilities is really important to us. And it's an important part of understanding good governance. The other part of it is also the composition of the management. And composition of the management and the leadership structure of an organization is paramount. And to really understand you know, how the company is run and who is running the company and how long have they been there, where they come from, what are the, the policies and the directives that they essentially bring to bear on the organization from the board and from the senior management of the organization very important for us to understand. But also the follow-through on that is our next C, which is competency. We all assume that just because somebody is a senior manager that they must have professional competency. But I go back to the idea of how many of us in life have looked at those above us and said, he doesn't know what he's doing or she just has no idea. And sure enough, that is where competency gets questioned. And so we also want to be looking at corporate competency in the sense of, are they capable uh, of doing what their job requires them to do? What are their professional capabilities? What's their seasoning? What is their perspective? How broad and narrow is it in terms of the industry that they're in and the world that we live in? So we do want to study the competency of the management that we have in place. The next C for us is going to be also clarity. Are they transparent? Are they clear? Do they make everything uh, that they should make available? Are they transparent about it in terms of their policies and their methodologies for executing those policies? And also more importantly, the outcomes. 
Now, is this management very open even about its problems? And when it does have problems, are they quick to respond? Are they quick to uh, make all the details available? And we've seen time and time again, certainly in recent years, that not everybody is as forthcoming and that management sometimes, you know, do try to hide important details from the various other stakeholders that are involved with their company. And then the last thing that I think is important in the five C's of governance is the consistency issue. One of the things we all like in life is a certain degree of predictability and consistency in all the things that we treasure in life. Nothing could be more true than a good management structure that is consistently applying its policies, consistently looking to improve, and consistently looking to take care of all the other stakeholders involved with the organization. So for us, when we think about how to look and judge uh, what governance is all about in the realm of ESG, it is simply, let's look at the five C's, compensation, composition, competency, clarity, and then lastly, consistency. So that's our framework for analyzing governance. And I think that for most advisors, it's it's a, a very clear, very nice structured way of thinking about every organization that I look at, what are the big things I want to be thinking about when I am assessing governance in regard to uh, a given organization? Wow, Bob, that's a, a really interesting way to unpack this notion of uh, good governance. But I think it might be possibly good to give some examples to really showcase some of these details and companies that are actually successful in follow through of some of these topics and what, what that means to the company itself, both from a, a good perspective and a an other perspective. In terms of compensation. Do we have a company that maybe is a good example of one that's possibly tying their CEO's pay to some sort of uh, sustainability performance or other long-term outcome? Well, there are probably a whole bunch out there, but Andy, I know you have one in mind. I think it's probably what Clorox is a good example. Why don't you pick it up from there? Because I know you've reviewed them. Yeah, so I, th- I do think Clorox is a great example of a company that has been very good of both, you know, showcasing their sustainability intentions in their reporting by doing something that we we think at Sage is great to have an integrated uh, annual report where your uh, CSR and your annual report, your 10K, are combined into one another. But another big thing that Clorox excels in is making sure that their CEO's compensation is actually tied to um, some of their long-term strategies from a sustainability perspective. And I think that it's it, they call it the Ignite strategy, but they're actually figuring out whether or not they are, you know, their targets of trying to reduce things like plastic usage and their, you know, all their recycled material, they're actually setting goals and then evaluating that performance and their their CEO is getting compensated on it. So I think that's a good measure of a company that, you know, to look for for a, a leader in that space. Sure. Well, you know, as we're looking at compensation, clearly you want to know how executives are being paid, how they're being incentivized. Are their incentives really tied to the benefit of all the other stakeholders in force? And and what are those goals and objectives? Are they clearly stated? Are they identified? That idea of short-termism in terms of financial outcomes uh, and having compensation tied to that is definitely a red flag for anybody who's trying to make an assessment of governance. We want those long-term positive outcomes, and we want that linked, and and we want to see that uh, incentive built into the compensation structure for board members as well as C-suite management, right? Absolutely, Bob. So I think that's a a good coverage of the, the compensation. I think moving on to the composition aspect, 
I do think this is also, again, a, a huge area of focus and one that can easily be changed by a company um, at you know each annual shareholder meeting. And, and I think when we're seeing, you know, even the NASDAQ just recently determining that they want two diverse board members on all of their listed companies, I think looking at the board from that composition perspective is going to be a really important factor moving forward. And that's going to include not just, you know, if they're a diverse board, but also is that board independent and what type of committees are they? Who's being on it? I think there's a lot of good factors in that board composition that, that we should be looking at. Dillard's, you know, is, is one of those companies that when we're looking at, you know, who's going to be successful moving forward, I, I look at it and I, I see the, the kind of struggles with them moving forward and, and adapting. And, and I look at their board and I see that their CEO and chairman are the same person. There's only one woman on the board. And the rest of the board is filled with family members. And I, I think that in this day and age, I, I just don't see, you know, a, a publicly traded company, if you can really justify that kind of insular process for operating a dynamic company that has a lot of risks and opportunities. And so I think that for them, I, as a shareholder, I would be concerned moving forward, you know, with a company like Dillard's. Well, there's, there's something positive to be said about family-owned businesses, but when you get to be as large as Dillard's, it's probably something that would be of uh, concern to some folks. And I think it's something that bears uh, consideration when we're looking at issues of not only diversity, but also the ability to have independent thought amongst the boards who can think independently and on behalf of the stakeholders and beyond the interests of the family. Let's talk about competency for our next C and the and the notion of you know how prepared is the the management how knowledgeable is the board are they do they come from backgrounds that are going to really augment the interests and support and grow the interests of the organization because uh, intellectually and educationally and experience wise they really know what's going on within the industry and and within the company they're very familiar with the technology and and with the various different products and services that they offer. So is this something that we can get into as analysts in terms of ESG? Definitely, Bob. And I think, you know, just if anybody that looks at a uh, an annual proxy statement, you can really get a good feel from a, you know, competency standpoint, whether or not these board members are matching the interests of the company and um, their, their biographies and their stories are usually put on display for us to see. And so I, I really do think we can tell those good companies and bad companies. And I, I just look at, you know, Lockheed Martin is a story that, you know, when you think of this, they're, they're bored and the talent that's on there, they have past CEOs of other companies. They have three retired generals and admirals. Obviously, probably that, that one makes sense. They have a former DHS secretary that may end up being the Department of Defense cabinet member here in the, in the future. Then they have board members that have been on other boards and been chairmen of boards in the past. So I think the support network there, they understand Lockheed Martin as a business and kind of some of the opportunities and the risks. And I really think that that talent level will help ultimately lead to better outcomes. Let's switch over to clarity. Is the company being transparent in in disseminating information, in getting the need to know information, as we like to refer to it, in ESG, uh, or are they 
creating a lot of informational fog. Are they avoiding? Are they ducking uh, you know, information that's pertinent uh, to the stakeholders and important to the ongoing interests of the organization? Those are things I think that every ESG analyst is searching for when we look at uh, corporate structures and we look at governance structures within organizations. So. It might be interesting just to identify a good one and a bad one. So let's start with a, a good example of uh, a company that really uh, provides a pretty solid clarity. Yeah, so I think from a company perspective, we, we really like in this name of transparency and communication, uh, Nike. And Nike has, was one of the first companies, you know, especially in its industry, to put out a, a, a CSR, which is basically a sustainability report, covering issues that people were concerned about uh, from a stakeholder perspective. And that's things like labor and contracted factories in places like China, uh, which which notably is actually coming back up again in, in, the, in the media as well with some of the lobbying. But we appreciated the fact that they were being very transparent as to where each of these factories were and then also reporting all of the requested metrics from groups like SASB that are trying to get more information from these companies. So I think Nike was a leader in that that CSR space. And so we really have to applaud them because others have now had to follow and and match their level of of transparency, which was great. That's an important part of it too. I think this that you touched on there towards the end is, is the leadership factor. And one of the things that we're always looking for is a very clear demonstration of leadership. Lord knows that, you know, life will always throw you curveballs every day. And, you know, there are difficulties that every corporate organization faces. But the fact is that when things don't go well, or even if they do go well, we want clarity. We we want to understand what's going on. And those companies that generally are the most, most forthcoming, we find has a high correlation to also being the high performers in their industry. And so when you see good clarity, good communication, good transparency of a company in terms of all the things that you need to know, you're generally going to find that they're an industry leader. But let's go to consistency, which everybody thinks that, you know, they've got good, consistent performers. But that's not always true. And and we find in our analysis in the world of ESG uh, analytical review that consistency counts. And what we're looking for there is, you know, company decisions that are important and actions in terms of how they execute and so forth. Are they fairly predictable? Do they have a style, a culture, uh, a clear and consistent application uh, of decisions that are important to the long-term capital value of the organization? Those are things that we're going to be looking for and continue to look for every year. Let's talk about a, a possibly a good example of the right way, you know, to be consistent. And I think the one name that that pops up in our mind is probably Apple. Is that right, Andy? Yeah. So I like the Apple story because I mean everybody can can look at Apple as a great success story over the past three decades. And you either love Apple products or you hate them, but they are you know an essential part of American culture as we speak today. But you know I really thought it was interesting, and and this is really kind of tells the power of the board. If anybody who's followed, you know, Steve Jobs and kind of his success story, it, it was a very interesting ride. I, I looked at it and I saw the conviction in, you know, these these board members at Apple that literally pushed out probably one of the one of the most influential people in in the world. They pushed him out of of, his, of the CEO role, you know, in the company three different times based on what they as a board was best for the company. And so it may at the time have looked really controversial, but they on three separate occasions had to make the difficult decision to push out the founding member of the company. And 
at the time it may have looked controversial, but in the end, we look at where Apple is standing today as one of, you know, if not the most valuable companies in the world from a market weight perspective. You know, you look at those decisions now and it obviously didn't hurt. So I, I really like that Apple story and kind of look at how boards can can operate as sort of independent and kind of forward-looking uh, entities. Yeah, I and you know I think everybody can applaud Apple and and kind of what they've done in terms of their brand and what they've done and what they've come to be known as in, in terms of their style and their orientation and again their leadership. But on the other side of the coin, there are those who unfortunately have problems with consistency, and I think. In recent years, one of the poster children for that would be uh, none other than good old Tesla. Maybe you might shed some light on that for us, Andy. You know, I, I, I just look at Tesla, and they, it's a, a great story because it one week it's going to be the, you know, potentially the most valuable company ever. And then Elon Musk sends a tweet out and this company is now, you know, basically <laughs> going bankrupt. And so it's a it's a really rocky ride when you're following Tesla. And I think you look at that and, and I and kind of the counteract with Apple as being a very deliberate and consistent board. I think Tesla's board has not shown that leadership that we would want to basically rein in Elon Musk. Because I think if you look at Tesla, it's a great company, has a lot of potential to have a huge impact on society moving forward You know, with revolutionary products that have tons of positive externalities. But in the end, kind of relationship with Elon Musk and kind of the vulnerability that he provides, I think the board could be that calming force. And I don't think that they as a board have exerted that influence that they possibly could. And that's, it's a difficult one for sure when you have your founder and its ties to the company. But I think that's what separates a, a good company from a great company is that making those tough decisions. Especially when you have such a, an illustrious leader like Mr. Musk, kind of a bull in a China shop. And But, you know, in terms of Looking at governance, and I, I hope our, our our presentation today really kind of fulfilled, you know, the need that most people might have in terms of how should I think about governance and what are the general factors that I want to be looking at. So, in reviewing it, we just say, you know, the five C's are really the pillars, if you will, of governance analysis. And there's lots of data that can go behind that. And today we're not here to talk about numbers. What we're here to talk about is conceptually, how do I want to analyze an organization from a governance perspective? Because in our minds, you can't necessarily have really good environmental outcomes or social outcomes without having really good governance. Governance is an anchor for both good E and good S within the ESG complex. And so if you're going to go out and start thinking about governance, let's not forget the five C's. For us, it's compensation, composition, competency, clarity, and consistency. And if you just follow those five concepts, you'll really be able to get yourself a very good framework for how to analyze an organization and how to grasp and understand the quality of the G within that particular company or organization that you're evaluating. Thanks, Bob, for talking with us today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. For more information, you can find us at sageadvisory.com or on our Sage Advisory Instagram and LinkedIn pages. See you next time. Sage Advisory Services is a registered investment advisor that provides investment management services for a variety of institutions and high net worth individuals. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice or an offer or solicitation with respect to the purchase or sale of any security, strategy, or an investment product. 
Investors should make their own decisions on investment strategies based on their specific investment objectives and financial circumstances. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. For additional information on Sage and its investment management services, please view our website at www.sageadvisory.com or refer to our form ADV, which is available upon request by calling 512-327-5530.